You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. What's up? Welcome back to Clapback Culture. I'm so glad to be here. I have been away um, doing my mommy thing, you guys, but I am so glad to be back and so glad to bring you guys some trending topics. Unfortunately, tonight, JC is not here with us. Um, He is catching flights. You know, the man is booked and busy, but I do have a special guest who's going to come and join me today to kind of help us get through this show and navigate some of these great topics. It is none other than my brother, Joe Jesse. Let's go ahead and bring him in, baby. <laughs> you finally up, got brother? me on here. You finally got me on here. Listen, I'm so glad to have you on here. Um, shout out to everybody in the comments, you guys. Listen, I've been trying to get Joseph on here for, I would say, at least a year, if not more. Um, but really been like poking at him these last couple of weeks. Like, I want you on the show. I want you on the show. So when JC couldn't make it, I had to pull the sister card and just pull him in. So I hope you guys like it. Hope you enjoy it. He does his own podcast. So that's why he's not so pressed to get on the air with me. Um, But I'm looking forward to a great show tonight. And I think you're going to add some healthy dialogue to these topics. Well, I'm excited to be here. What are we talking about today? All right. So here is what's up on the menu, you guys. You remember I brought this story to you uh, probably, I want to say several months ago, um, maybe almost a year ago, but that daycare owner out of Baltimore, she's finally speaking out from behind bars. She is the daycare owner who shot her husband after hearing the allegations that he molested some of the children at the daycare center. So I had to bring this back to you guys. We have a video. It's a little bit long, but I want you guys to see everything she had to say about it. Let's watch this. We'll come back and we'll certainly talk about it. Hi, how are you? Bruce Lachian. The judge says Shantari Weems took the law into her own hands. But she says she snapped. And some supporters see her as a kind of avenging angel seeking justice for horrible crimes against children. I was emotional. Her backers were stunned last month when a judge slapped the 50-year-old with a four-year sentence, twice what even prosecutors recommended in a plea deal. Despite my surroundings, I'm doing okay. I have a lot of supporters and... um, People who uplift me and help me survive. Prosecutors have charged her husband, James Weems, with 33 counts of rape and child sex crimes. He's awaiting trial, and his lawyer is declining to comment. Don't let them sweep this under the rug. The man is still alive. and Right from the start, the Internet was filled with support for Weems under the hashtag Free Shantari. She shot her husband, a retired cop, twice in his room at what was then D.C.'s Mandarin Oriental Hotel, where he was staying while providing security at the Urban League convention. The judge said her attack on her husband was premeditated, not spontaneous, that police had told her days earlier 
that they were investigating him. And they'd shut down her little kid's castle in Baltimore County while they looked into the allegations of child sexual abuse. The only person I had to find out information from was my husband. And he kept saying he didn't do it. And you believed him? I did believe him. But then, she says, the mother of one of the children, a child she'd loved and cared for for years, said they had to talk. I saw the pain in her face, and I knew that she was not lying. She finally said it was my husband. You think about that child all the time? All the time. I think about all the children all the time. You felt this complete betrayal of trust? I was totally broken. I, I felt like the, the blood had just drained out of my body because, again, this is my husband. I just, I trusted him fully. He was supposed to help me protect these children. He always told me he was my protector. So when I heard this, I just felt like, I just felt like my world had just ended. She took her first drink in 20 years and according to prosecutors, texted her business partner, I'm going to kill him and then myself. She drove to the hotel and angrily confronted him. I snapped. I'm not a violent person. Tomorrow night, Shantari Weems takes us through the shooting. What was she thinking? The first shot was in the neck. Yes. And then you shot him in the leg. Yes. How could she open fire on her own husband, the man she had loved and trusted more than anyone? At the D.C. Department of Corrections, Bruce Lachan, WUSA 9. All right, y'all. I mean, this is one of those stories that you're kind of looking at her like the hero, right? Like she's she's not the villain in this. I mean, she's reacting. And so she is now doing double what even the prosecutors were asking for, which I think is a shame, like especially because the husband has been charged with 33 counts. Um, Joe, what do you think about this? It, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, Chris Rock had that special that came out recently on Netflix. And I think about one of his more famous specials where he was talking about OJ, where he was saying, you know, I'm not saying, you know, she was right for doing it, but I understand. You know what I mean? It's it's a tough position. You don't want to see anyone get more than especially what the prosecutor wants to give. But, you know, you understand you understand how it was premeditated, but so many counts, so many allegations. You also understand how that woman felt like she had to do something to protect those kids. So, I mean, it's tough either way. Do I feel like she should have got some sort of, of sentence and some sort of prison time? Of course, you know, it was premeditated. She shot somebody, but should she get more than what the prosecution suggested? I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I agree with those sentiments. Uh, I think the judge, I, I hate when I see the judge go past what the, the prosecutors are asking for, um, particularly in a case like this, where this person violated your trust to the utmost. Like this is the number one person you're supposed to trust in all of your life and, he, and you're completely violated. And so in addition to this being premeditated, I also feel like this is a crime of passion. Like this is a crime 
of like, you know, it, it just takes you over the edge. So she's actually sitting in DC, uh, correction. So she's here um, in DC with us. And she's saying that she has a lot of support and a lot of people uplifting her and keeping her close. So four years is, um, is a lot. Um, and, you know, we just wish her well and, and, and hopefully justice will be served for the kids. So for sure. We'll see. All right. Uh, well, this is a little more upbeat, something I wanted to bring to the table, you guys. Uh, what do you think about a four day work week? Well, a California um, representative is, you know, bringing this back on the floor. Who wants that four day work week in Congress? And so we're trying to see if Congress um, is going to, you know, pass this bill. We see the congressional support. They have endorsed the bill. And, you know, lawmakers are saying, like, for far too long, our country has prioritized corporate profits overworking um, people and their families. And, you know, we're being forced to work these longer hours, sacrificing that time with loved ones. And so the bill that was introduced earlier this month would reduce the standard work week from 40 hours to 32 hours, um, effectively ending that traditional five day cycle. Personally, I love this. I think that this is going to build morale in the work environment. We see now since COVID that people are um, really being able to prioritize their workload and, and working on things um, at their leisure and still being able to effectively get this done. Joe, what are your thoughts on this? Are you ready for a four-day work week? You know what? I'm actually going to give some pushback on this. So I love the 40-hour work week for some people and the 32 hours for others. I don't think it's for everybody. I think that there are some people who are just super high performers, high functioning, and they need 40, 50 hours a week just to feel like they've accomplished something within that week with whatever they're doing. Then there's other people who can prioritize what they need to do, get it done in four days instead of five, and then take that fifth day and go do something else with their time that's more productive for their life, maybe for their own business, their own family, their own well-being. So I think for some companies, it'll be great depending on what industry that you're in. But for other industries, I mean, if do you want to be a law firm that's only open four days a week? What happens if I need you on the fifth day? You know what I mean? So I think it's not a good fit for all industries, but for some of them, absolutely. Let's go for it. Yeah, 100% agree with that. There are going to be some industries that are just not going to be able to follow this, um, follow this bill, whereas there are some um, that I think could benefit from this, right? Typically, you have the average worker working that nine to five, five day a week kind of gig. Um, and with that being said, I think they, you know, individuals could really benefit from a shorter work week, Um and any hours worked outside of that 32 hours, the bill is speaking to that being overtime pay. And this would be for hourly employees. So now someone like me who's on salary, um, typically, you know, I get paid for a 40 hour work week. But oftentimes I find myself working on the weekends, going to community based events, having events outside of the work hours. So in, in context, it's like it sounds great. But are we ever really going to be able to take off? And I just think the culture of America and the way that we prioritize working, I don't think that 
um, workers are going to feel comfortable even pulling back, especially those that are salary. They're going to feel that their performance is being, um, you know, kind of looked at by their supervisors, their boss, like, is this person working hard enough for the company? Do Are they investing enough time? And so I, I think that conflict is going to come, um, kind of come to the surface on that in terms of like individuals work performance and balancing that um, to individuals who want to kind of escalate in their job. So it's a, it's a slippery slope here. I'll add one more to that. You know, how about those people that work through their lunch, even though they're supposed to take an hour break? I'm one of those people that I don't take my hour lunch break. I'm eating while working because I'm trying to get as much done towards the middle of the day so I can kind of, you know, ease off into the end of my day. So, you know, you're talking salary. We're working based on the clock, not necessarily what we get done. So, 32 hours on a salary, I don't know if it's going to work because they'll probably find a way to get that extra eight out of us somewhere else, whether it's on that fifth day or the weekend, they're going to get that extra eight somehow. Well, listen, it seems that workers are collectively reimagining how we see our work environment. And so I'm here for it. Let's see how this kind of federal legislation goes. But if not, I think it would be a great idea for individual organizations to decide what works best for their work environment. Absolutely. Let the people choose. Let the people choose. Well, one thing that people are not going to be able to choose is TikTok. Uh, the UK is the latest to ban TikTok on government phones because of security concerns. Well, we know that this has been a hot topic for some time now, but British authorities said on Thursday that they're banning the Chinese app um, from government phones because of the security risks. Um, they're saying that this is a pre precautionary move and it doesn't apply to personal devices. However, if you work for the government, you're not to have this app on your phone. Um, it's both prudent and proportionate to restrict the use of certain apps, uh, particularly when it comes to apps where a large amount of data can be stored in access. That is what Dowden, um, a British lawmaker, said about the device um, holding sensitive information on those government phones. Well, this is following the lead um, of our government, the U.S. government that mandated last month that employees of federal agencies have to delete TikTok off their government phones. Uh, so Congress, the White House, U.S. Armed Forces, um, all of those uh, guys over there, they're going to have to remove that app if they had it on their phone. Um, and it's essentially banned. Um, I think this is also coming on the heels of a lot of Americans feeling like uh, the app should be banned. I know that some um, U.S. universities and colleges have also made the decision that you're not going to be able to access TikTok on any of their devices. Um, and they're even putting up a firewall so you cannot access that and get past that because they just don't want, you know, they don't want to share the information with a foreign government. And I... I agree. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I did a little, you know, deeper dive into more of what the issue is on both sides as far as the UK and the United States with TikTok. 
And one of the biggest issues is not only the data, but where that data is going to be stored. So one of the CEOs for TikTok, he had an idea, I think that it's Project Texas is what it's called, where essentially they will have U.S. stored data stored in Texas in order for, I guess, the U.S. government to have access to that information so they don't feel as nervous that China will have all that information to the 100 million TikTok American users that are on the app today. So I totally understand the, the need to want to have access and control and more importantly, security over your country's data. And I personally, I'm not on the app. I don't use TikTok and it's not because I don't want my data to be out there. I'm on other apps. So that's, you know, I'm out there now, but I have more of an issue with the app itself and how addictive it is and how, you know, consuming the app is as far as information and the time you spend on it. Yeah, I, you know, that was my reason for not jumping on the TikTok bandwagon initially. I have joined the TikTok club. I'm still not uh, using it as aggressive as I would use like Instagram or Twitter. Um, but it is, it, it's a great app, but to your point, I feel like the content that's being served on there just really doesn't serve us productively as a people. Um, and so because I have this knowledge base that in China, they're using it to serve this kind of content to like enhance the people and enhance these kids. It's, you know, it's kind of like we're learning how to do all these dance and, you know, have good laughs and vibe. Um, They're learning how to do like high level math on TikTok. They're learning how to build robotics on TikTok. Their algorithm is completely different and they've got a curfew. There's a cutoff time for that app as well. So, you know, there obviously there are more regulations there in China than there are here. Maybe if we adopted some of those regulations, it'd be maybe a little more accepted. But it doesn't seem like TikTok's going to give up or, you know, give up any of the data anytime soon. So more bands are probably going to be on the way until they decide to give up the data. Until then, you know, all personal use is free, free game. Yeah, I mean, and it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous game we play with that. So be, you know, be weary, especially because you're connect. I mean, on your phone, you're connecting your phone number, your email, your Facebook, your Instagram, like all of those things are just in combination. So they have total access to possibly your Apple wallet, bank accounts, oh. you know, Everything. all just anything that could be linked to a username and password, you know, oh, you might as wow. well give it up. You've given it up. Just let's just go there. Um, this is a story that I brought to you guys uh, when it first happened um, over. If you guys remember last summer, there was a young a young man, 14 years old. His name was Tyree Sampson. Well, his parents um, made a settlement in his wrongful death in that lawsuit um, after he lost his life in Florida on a uh, park ride during over spring break. Well, unfortunately, um, if you guys remember Tyree, he slipped out of the ride's harnesses and fell over 430 feet to his death. Um, his parents did go ahead and make a settlement and um, this comes at the same time that the ride is being demolished. Uh, and, you know, it's really sad to remember like kind of what happened. This is, you know, at Icon Park and it announced a permanent closure of the ride uh, you know, to follow the demo the demolition. And 
it's just, you know, it's one of those things where you'll never get your kid back. Um, but I'm happy to see that the the rides um, manufacturer has stepped up to the plate and, um, you know, has decided to settle. Um, you know, they are saying that the seat was manipulated and that the harness was still locked in. The seatbelt and harness was still locked in um, when Tyree fell. But if that were the case, if there wasn't a malfunction, then how would he be able to fall 430 feet? So nevertheless, um, you know, the they've taken responsibility. They have made a settlement. I was unable to find the dollar amount of the settlement, um, but I think there is no dollar amount that you can put on for this young man's life. And it's it's tough. You know, I. I wasn't too privy to the details of what actually happened to him. I went back and, and read a little bit. And unfortunately, it starts when you listen to the mother share that speech she gave the other day, uh, visiting the site a year after all of this happened. And, you know, once again, it's another example of black women showing their strength and having to speak during these terrible situations. But one of the things that really stood out to me during that that speech of hers, our guest during that that presser was that someone had asked her, you know, what what she felt they needed to do with the ride itself. Do they need to dismantle it? Do they need to you know, put it somewhere else? Do they need to? And she said they need to go above and beyond destroying that ride. So she felt whatever they need to do, exceed that in your efforts to destroy this ride. He doesn't want anything left to be known, seen, or be able to be recognized with this ride. And she said that the money that, you know, was awarded to them, she's going to use in her son's legacy for sports programs and education to oh. keep his name alive, which is beautiful to hear, but it's sad because you don't want that to happen to any parent. You know what I mean? So I, I love, you know, what she's doing, but I hate that, you know, it had to be like this. John Jupiter, I share your sentiments. That's why I'm staying, you know, 10 toes down. I'm not one to get on rides or, you know, uh, roller coasters and stuff like that. I, I usually have to be forced to get that, but this is a kid. He's 14. Um, and when you're that age, you're having fun. You know, when you're a little bit older, mortality kicks in. And you got a little bit more to lose. So you kind of, you know, you kind of weigh out your options. But as when we were teenagers, we were riding roller coasters. And, oh, yeah. you know, we were at the Puyallup Fair doing those crazy rides that probably weren't serviced well, but we were willing to take the risk. So, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's definitely not the he was doing what 15 year, year olds do. Anyone that wants to say about his size, shame on you. You know, it's the kid who didn't deserve to go out like that. Yeah, damn. I mean, ugh, rest in peace to Tyree Sampson. Um, and we will continue to follow up on uh, the work that his family does so that we can kind of keep his legacy alive. All right. Well, look, Joe, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, you guys, we are moving into our do it for the culture section. And of course, we got to talk about your boy, John Morant. Stay tuned. You're watching Clapback Culture. <laughs> <laughs> 
What's up, everybody? You know, me and Besa, my girl, we had to pull up to Market Street Shoes once again, y'all. And you know, we do this every season. We have to get the new shoes, the new boots. And this time, I even got a coat. Yeah, no, you did walk in without a coat. I really I'm did. I'm glad you found one. But their boots were on point. Yes, the boots, the bags. I even grabbed a flannel. Yeah, you did. You know, and I was able to get some hats and everything. I was really impressed. And you know, I was impressed because, of course, I got those white boots that yeah. you guys see me wearing everywhere these days. Yeah, no, I, I look at your white boots and I'm like, darn it, they only have one pair. Me and Basie wear the same size. Of course, every time we walk out with several bags in hand. Several bags and sometimes even a backpack, you guys. Make sure you check out Market Street Shoes. Yeah, please check them out. where they go, Basa? Ooh, 2232 Northwest Market Street, Seattle, Washington. What up, y'all? T-Dub here, as always, bringing you the news and art funding and opportunities. This year's Four Culture Project grants are live now, and here's what you need to know to apply. Four Culture Project grants fund cultural activities and projects throughout King County. If you are an individual or group with arts, heritage, or preservation at its core, then this funding is for you. And if you're new to the grant application process, Four Culture hosts virtual workshops and has a team of grant managers ready to assist you in the process. The deadline to apply is March 23rd. Head over to fourculture.org for more. All right, y'all, welcome back to Clapback Culture. I'm your girl, Joe Jesse, alongside my guest host, Joe Jesse. Yes, he's my brother, same last name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so listen, I told you guys I wanted to talk about the John Morant uh, story. This is buzzing. I'm telling you, Rodney makes me listen to ESPN every single morning. So I'm totally caught up on sports. I probably listen to it for at least two to three hours a day in the morning, whereas I usually would be listening to like MSNBC or CNN or something like that. But I digress. But uh, the NBA suspended Memphis Grizzlies guard John Morant for eight games without pay on Wednesday after determining uh, that his displaying of a firearm at a club in suburban Denver earlier this month was conduct detrimental to the league we have a short video clip of him flashing the gun as well as a few other things let's take a look and when we come back we'll talk about all of it john Morant, the point guard for the memphis grizzlies will not play in the next two games after displaying what appeared to be a gun in an instagram live video while at a nightclub the nba is investigating the incident Morant apologized and said he would take time away to work on better ways to handle stress and his overall well-being nike which has a signature shoe line with Morant, supported his decision to prioritize his well-being. This incident follows two others this summer that resulted in police reports but no arrests. The Grizzlies will also be without Brandon Clark for the rest of the year due to an Achilles tear and Dylan Brooks for one game due to a technical foul. All right. So, like I said, that was just a short clip on what's going on. I'm sure you guys have heard about it. Uh, but Morant will miss his sixth game when the Grizzlies play in Miami on Wednesday night. Or he missed his sixth game, excuse me. Um, he'll miss the next two games to be eligible to return on Monday when Memphis plays Dallas. The games he's already missed will count towards the suspension and Morant will forfeit close to $670,000 in salary, which is really a drop in the bucket for him. Uh, Nike came out and supported his decision to go into treatment. Uh, but I mean, listen, he's been getting scrutinized up until this point because he's had this like gangster uh, persona that he's trying to portray. People are, you know, saying like, listen, y'all, like, that's not you. You're soft. 
play the game, stay focused. Um, you know, don't try to really perpetuate that narrative for yourself. You know, they want to see him win. Um, but you know, he's a, he's like, he's young with money, you know, what do you think? What's going on? So, you know, I've got my basketball channel. So this is something that I've obviously been focusing on as it, as it started. The first thing I'll say is that the money that he lost in his salary looked about the same amount that he threw in that club that night. So I don't think he's tripping about Right. Not at all. <laughs> he might be the largest donor of, of Denver, Colorado currently based off of that photo. Right. But let's keep that in perspective. He's 23. He's 23. He's on his second major contract in the NBA. Well, really his first major contract. He just got a big deal with Nike Powerade. His first signature shoe is getting ready to drop. And you're 23 years old. Yeah, I'm going to act a fool. I remember I lived I was going to school in Miami at 23. If you gave me $2,000, I was going to act a fool on South Beach. So I don't know what you expect a 23 year old with 200 million to do. Come on. Right. So I think we should definitely give him a pass. The thing that I find funny is that the NBA needs him back so bad that they allowed his time away to count his time served towards his suspension. I've never Great. seen that before. I've never seen someone go to rehab, almost get pulled out of rehab just in time for the NBA playoffs. Ja is worth a lot of money. Ja is worth a lot of money to Nike. He's the future face of the NBA. There's a lot of money invested in Ja Morant. So it would behoove a lot of companies to let him work on himself while it's time to go get this money, right? They invested all this money. They need him on the court. So personally, I feel like the NBA might have pulled him out of Florida in that rehab a little quick. But if he's ready to play, you know, all prayers to him. I hope the young fellow, you know, you know, makes it work and figures it out. But he's 23, so I figure he will. You know what I mean? I mean, first and foremost, he does not need rehab. He doesn't need to go into treatment and counseling to determine who he is. With maturity, with time, he will mature into a man that is more professional and more business focused. Um, he's this has to be such an exciting time in his life where it's like, He's doing exactly what he loves and what he's good at. He's getting paid millions and millions of dollars, having one of the biggest contracts in the league to do it. He has, you know, negotiated some deals with Nike. Um, why wouldn't he be in this celebratory mood to kind of do these things? Now, is he getting drunk and acting stupid on Instagram Live? Yeah. And that is the type of etiquette where a big homie should step in and be like, bro, don't do that, you know? And so I think he's going to learn a valuable lesson in this and saying, okay, this, you don't do this because you don't want to jeopardize your bag. You know what I'm saying? And um, he's, he's having, he's having fun. Um, I think it's funny. We'll bring up the strip club uh, incident because the strip club owner was like, we love John Moran. He's a, he's a great guy. This, then the third, and I'm like, but you guys leaked his picture. Like, come on, like, let that man have a good time with discretion as much as possible. Like don't sell the footage of, that was I mean, the first that's, and the last time. Man, Nobody's they said coming it was $50,000 on the floor. So, uh, you know, listen, he's, he's paying other people's bills He's, uh, you know, he's tipping well, uh, you know. He paid for about five semesters of college. So however you want to look at it, you know, shout out to Ja. 
whether all that money went to that lady or they split it up between dancers, he threw a lot of money, spent a lot of money at that establishment. And it's unfortunate that that level of privacy that you pay for is now being leaked for a price someone else was willing to pay for. So, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the That's power of money. That's a great way to look at it. John Jupiter, let's put up um, John Jupiter's comment. It says, I'm not mad at the strip club incident. He can't be flashing the gun. Someone should have told him that. That strip club lost a big bag snitching on him. I I, I agree. Um, the firearm is corny. And I say, I use the word corny because... One, it's it's the tiniest little 22 pocket gun ever. Somebody was you know saying I mean? it was that mini gun for men in black. It exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's that not a gun for men in black. That little pum pum. I mean, yeah. it's it's tiniest little I to be honest, I thought it was a chain at first. I thought it was like just because it was so small, I thought it was a chain until I read the reports. Uh so listen. I think he showed it in a non-threatening fashion. Uh, he's been scolded enough, I'm sure, by Adam Silver, who probably was just like, come on, like, let's not do this, but let's just negotiate how we're going to present this one to the public. Uh, and again, what you I, know. What we, I can tell you is Adam works. Silver knew all of that before any of us did. The NBA oh, knows when it happened, where it happened, and who it happened with before the press does so they can get in front of it. So they probably okay. talked to Ja well before this came out and was like, here's how we're going to handle this. So, yeah, yeah the NBA sure. is quite powerful, quite powerful. They are powerful, and they're only as powerful as their players. And so somebody like Ja Morant, who is you know a substantial investment, they cannot lose that type of investment. So... Mm -hmm. We'll send you to treatment. We'll put you in rehab. We'll, you know, pat you on the back and say, don't do that again. Um, and so he's, he's going to go dunk on somebody. <laughs> oh, yes. And yeah, exactly. So John Moran's dad, too, I think is also not the best influence. I think his dad is totally with this, with the, you know, with the BS um, he's, he's having way too good of a time with his son right now when he really needs to step in and just be like, son, let's have a great time. Do everything you want to do. Just don't go live on Instagram. Don't take pictures. Have people check their phones before they come into your house. I think John Morant is now learning that he is actually a real celebrity. And I think what's great is that Everyone didn't jump on T. Morant, uh, Jaw's father, in a negative way. They came at him where like, hey, now it's time for you to stop kicking it and be a dad and let him know you got to start moving differently. Because in the past, it could have easily been, well, look at his dad. That's why Jaw's acting the way that he's acting. So I love that people gave T. Morant some grace as well, understanding, you know, he's growing into this fame just like his son is. So now, just like your son, you've got to grow up a little bit as well and be that example for Josh. So, as, you know, as a group, I think as Black people, we kind of embraced them and understood, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a maturity thing and they're both going to grow in their celebrity and their fame and be better for it. 100%. I know Shannon Sharp cannot wait to laugh all the way to the bank about this, but I'm sure he wants to see Jaw do well, you know? No, but, absolutely. Yeah. 
All right. Well, listen, you guys, there's that. Um, we're going to wish that young man well. Uh, let's see the time. Okay, we're at we're at uh, the 40 minute mark. Not too bad. I got to We got time for another story before we get to the clapback. So there is a story. Raheem Carter's family is calling for justice. I had no idea this came out. You guys, this is about a young man whose body was found dismembered. <clears throat> Excuse me. The allegation is that he uh, was murdered by the KKK. Let's take a look. Welcome back to Law and Crime Daily. We go now to Mississippi, where a disturbing story is getting a lot of attention. A man missing since last fall was found dead with his head severed from his body. That's according to an independent autopsy released by his family. Despite apparently brutal injuries at the time Rasheem Carter's body was found, the sheriff's department said no foul play was suspected. The Carter family is now asking for a federal probe into the investigation. Carter's mother says Rasheem told her he was being targeted by white men in the community. Then, just days later, he went missing. According to the family's attorney, Ben Crump, Carter, Carter's head was removed and his spinal cord was found in a different area. Some of his body parts are reportedly still missing. The Mississippi State Medical Examiner's report states that the conditions of the remains make it difficult to pinpoint the time of death. The report lists both the cause and manner of death as undetermined. This was a nefarious act. This was an evil act. Somebody murdered Racine Carter. And we cannot let them get away with this. On um, October the 1st, my son texts me. This was after uh, him and I had gotten off the phone. He said, me and the owner of this company, not seeing eye to eye, mom. His name, which I can't say at this time, but if anything happened to me, he's responsible for it. I'm too smart, mama. He got these guys wanting to kill me. And that's what he said to me. And then he went missing. So how are we listening to police who say that there was no foul play that there was no reason to suspect foul play when the body was found in a wooded area dismembered. Uh, why are we don't we know how it was dismembered either, which are to we me suggests foul play. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I read a little bit more into the story and un unfortunately reading into the beginning of the story, it felt eerily similar to the Ahmaud Arbery story, right? Yes. Here we are once again in the South, black man running for his life, ends up dead. And then now we, the, the people have to figure out and pick up all the pieces and figure out what happened. I, I also wanted, I was curious, right, when they said that they can't really suggest foul play, but the body was dismembered. Now the, they suggested animals had been eating on uh, parts of the body to the point where it's now difficult to determine time of death. So then I decide, well, what kind of animals are in that area of Mississippi, right? So there's black bears and vultures, right? Alligators as well. So three, you know, animals that would pick at a human body, but I would also think you would know that if you were to, you know, 
dismember a body and leave it kind of scattered in that area. So, I mean, there's so many clues in the details of that young man's text throughout the day and even, you know, days prior that would suggest that there is some sort of foul play or that the people at that work site know more than what they're suggesting. They had ruled out everyone at that work site, which I think is a bit a, a bit foolish because if those were the last people that saw him outside of those video cameras, they know a little bit more. You know, all they said is that his behavior had changed days before this happened which to me suggests that he came onto a job site. Everyone thought he was nice and joking, which for a lot of black people, when you go to a job site that's predominantly white, you accept a lot of kind of racial slurs, a lot of discrimination. There's a lot of just uncomfortable comments that are made and you just wanna get the job done. As those days mm -hmm. continue, you speak up. And now everyone's thinking, well, what's wrong with you? All of a sudden you've changed. No, I'm just not, I'm not gonna put up with what it is that you're giving me every single day. So I personally think that's what happened. And then that was the sentiment that young man sent to his mother suggesting that something could happen to him because of something that happened on the site. So there's too many crumbs not to build a whole slice of bread, let alone a whole loaf for the police department. I'm not buying it. Yeah, another key piece of evidence that I um, I found in one of the articles was the fact that he was missing um, his front teeth and um, that he was missing the front teeth and or he was missing front teeth and he was also missing teeth from the bottom row. That is not something an animal would do. That screams assault, right? That screams um, homicide. So another another thing to think about, and you don't even have to piece this together, is like, why was he even in the woods, right? Why would he just all of a sudden go missing and, you know, following these messages that he sent his mom? I mean, if you're a grown man and you're sending a, a message to your mother that says, if something happens to me, this guy did it, why are we not suspecting foul play? I mean, that is... You know, he left he left a note. He left a note to tell us exactly what happened to him. And so I am glad um, that Ben Crump is on the case, him in his administration looking into this um, because this is absolutely a Mississippi lynching. Um, but it's unclear what prompted authorities to search that wooded area to even begin with or what led them to kind of determine um, that it wasn't foul play. So I'm really interested to know what made them even go out there because they didn't find his body until a month after these text messages or, or a month until after um, he made that text to his mom. So this is a heartbreaking story. I'm interested to see what the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation kind of determines and comes up with. But I'm, you know, I'm really do want to see what the FBI comes up with because they do need um you know, federal authorities to step in and take over the case because it seems like whoever is there is protecting somebody else. I would I would think that the FBI will not only do a further investigation into this case, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do an investigation into that police department. Let's look into their their history in as regards to cases and and you know their investigations. You know, that Alex Murdoch case really opened up my eyes to how some of these small town police departments yeah. operate. So, you know, 
why not look into them and how they operate as well? Yeah, small time law enforcement, right? Because he was on the judicial side of the, the government. So it was like that. And then he had, you know, law enforcement. I mean, it was like his family was the prosecutors and the defense and police officers. It was just like a whole muddied down situation. So we'll see what happens boys in this. Good old boys club. It's written down because while we can why we can argue like, oh, you know, animals rip the body apart. And that's why the spinal cord was in this place and the head was in this place. I don't buy it. I don't buy that. He was just there. So even if animals did, uh, you know, disrupt the body and move it into different places, what I don't buy is that he died of natural causes in the woods in the middle of nowhere. And lastly, they haven't I don't think they found his phone either. So I think once they find the phone, we'll find some more information. We'll see. We shall see. Well, look, let's take actually we're not going to take a break uh, because we only have 10 minutes. So we're going to jump right into our clap back for tonight. So this is a it's been a little bit controversial. Sierra, um, who is the wife um, to Russell Wilson, uh, attended the Oscars last week and attended the Vanity Fair after party. And this is what she had on. Let's take a look. So this is the scantily clad dress that she wore. Um, it's a see-through dress with a black thong and some gloves. She is a mother of three, a wife to Russell Wilson. And critics are saying that this was just too much for a mother, that this is not uh, the best look for her. Um, before I give my comments, I'd like to hear yours. So if in regards to her being a mother and a wife, to me, that would suggest more reason for her to wear this, right? You've been through some stuff in your life. You can go ahead. You're, you're not, you don't really give a shit about what people say anyway, right? At this point in your life, because you've gone through some stuff. What I recognize right away with Sierra is that she has a history of wearing sheer dresses to different events. If you if you Google Sierra sheer dresses, you'll see about four or five iconic looks that all had some level of controversy or people were talking about it. As the years continued, the dresses got more and more see-through, meaning she was more, she was less and less covered as the years go on. So this was really just a maturation point where we were eventually going to get here anyway. So I'm not really surprised by it. I understand that people, you know, may not want to see that. The funny thing for me is that She's a singer at an Oscar party and she's got all the attention and didn't win a single award. So kudos to her. You know, she won the Oscars and, you know, wasn't even acting. You know what I mean? So I have no problems with it. I, I expect it of Sierra at this point. OK, I I hate it. I First of all, I don't like the dress just in general. Like, I think it doesn't look there's nothing that I like about it. Right. My criticism to this is Sierra is sending the wrong message. And, and well, I'll say it may not be her responsibility to send any message, but the message that this sends, particularly with some of the music that she's come out, I think contradicts who she really is in real life. Um, 
this is not how an average girl is going to be able to dress with her husband, right? For a red carpet, she got paid, you know, allegedly she got paid over $650,000 to wear this dress. I'm wearing that all day long. Rodney, let me, let me walk the red carpet with my ass out for six. Why don't we start with that? That say no more. (laughs) But my issue with it is like, if she wore this without being paid to wear it, I think it sends the wrong message to girls who are really trying to get wiped up. Like it's not in call me traditional, but I think that we do need to add some traditional values on this. Like, a man is not going to want to wipe the girl up whose ass is always out. And if we think about it, before she got Russell, Sierra was basically the same girl who never got wiped. Like, if you look at her dating record, nobody stayed with her. And that was her reputation before she got with Russell Wilson. And no tea, no shade, but Russell Wilson's, he's a simp. Like, he's a beta man. So there's... There's something to say about that as well in that she seems to be the alpha in their relationship. And so this is something that could fly if you're dating a beta man. But if you're dating an alpha man, please believe they're not going for you doing this. Like if you look at and I wish I had brought it. LeBron James's wife also took to the red carpet, Savannah, and she looked oh, man. gorgeous. Top she tier. looked top gorgeous. Tier. She, She's she top ate up tier. everybody. She ate up everybody. She ate up everybody and she barely had cleavage out. And so that speaks to that natural beauty. I love Sierra. I think she's beautiful. I think she has such an interesting personality. I love to see her interacting with her group of friends like Lala and Kelly. So I think she's a top tier kind of woman. Um, But I think she also takes risks when it comes to fashion. So I totally understand why she did this. But she always screams to girls to be this like independent woman. And it's like, but Cece, that's not you, sis. Like you do everything with your man. Like you have kids with your man. Like you're a wife and you and you lived in Seattle kind of wife. Like you're a, you're like, this is your thing is to be about family. And so I just think it sends the wrong message to girls. And I think it's a contradicting message to send to girls who want to dress sexy, want to feel sexy when really you're not getting wiped up like that. Like it's just not, you're just not getting wiped up like that. Like, let's just keep it real. I think it's, I think it's funny. Like I, I agree with everything that you're saying, but at the same time, I, I, like I said, I wasn't surprised by it. Like maybe I just look at Sierra differently I don't really look at her as like an example of a home wife, but I don't really follow her that much. The only times I ever really see her are in these moments when she's on a red carpet wearing something crazy or there's something, you know, she's doing on a, on TikTok or Instagram or something wild that Russell said and then she's, you know, has to come back and defend it. So really my, my experience, or at least, my understanding, or at least anytime I see Sierra, it's in these moments, you know, so those, those moments of being a wife, I don't, I hardly ever see that unless she's literally standing next to Russell. And in those moments, he either looks like he's ready to take her back to the room, or he's ready to get the hell out of there. He's either super uncomfortable, or he's like, I'm the one that picked this outfit out for her. So I think there's a little bit of that as well. I don't think there's, I don't think he would let her 
necessarily walk out of the house in that without his okay. But I think there's part of him that likes kind of that level of controversy because Russell's kind of a lame, you know what I mean? He's a square type of dude. I've met him in person. So like, he's one of those guys that would strike me as if he has the girl who's got all her cleavage and skin out and he's the one that's with her, that adds some level of credibility to him. He kind of feeds off of that. So I look at their relationship in that regard, like she gives him some some street cred. So the yeah. wilder she gets, the little more kind of accepting edgy, of wild edgy, stuff. Edgy. He, he's a little more edgy because he's accepting of it, right? So I look at you know these Hollywood relationships in that way. It's not just one person, it's the partnership. Yeah. It is. I love that. I love the way you broke that down. And I agree with you that Russell Russell stamps this because it does give him that edge and that kind of like adventure that I think he doesn't naturally have. Um, and he's willing to allow her to kind of go outside of the box a little bit more because he's not. But let me ask you this. These are celebrity Hollywood relationships. You're married. Would you ever let your wife come outside in something like this? You know what's funny? The first I laugh because the first thing I thought when I thought about that and I saw that dress, my first thought, my first question jokingly to my wife would be like, you're not going to be cold wearing that. Right. Like as a husband, like I'm thinking of all the shit I'm going to have to like hear all all like it's too cold. It's uncomfortable. I can't go to the bathroom in it. Like all the things, all the complaints I'm going to have to hear all night long. Right. So if that dress is going to create a whole bunch of complaints, no, don't wear that. Wear something different. Right. But if it's something that you're prepared for, you're making a statement and you kind of there's a reason as to why you're wearing this dress. Like if you're hit like a midlife crisis and you just like want to just have that one last show, or let's say you've been in the gym for a year and a half working on your body. And this is kind of your moment to show off your work. I'm not going to stop you, but don't come to me with complaints about that dress. When you wore it, you knew what you were getting yourself into. Cause I had to zip it up in the back. So that, you know, that's pretty much, that's pretty much my answer to that question. <laughs> You know, what's funny is now I understand why Rodney always tells me just wear something comfortable because he probably doesn't want me to complain all night that I am uncomfortable or these shoes hurt or this is too tight. I need you to help me unzip it so I can use the bathroom because I always I'm like, why do you keep telling me to wear something comfortable? I want to look cute. Uh, so that has now answered my question. I would I wouldn't I wouldn't wear this on a red carpet. It gives. I, you know, I always asked him, I was like, would you care if I wore like a thong bikini on the beach? And he was like, if you have the body and you want to jump out there, like, go ahead and do it. But I just always think there's a time and a place for things like I wouldn't want to wear like a thong and have my ass out in front of somebody else's husband or man or, you know, you just I think we're just losing sight of how sexy and beautiful modesty can be. Um, and. I'm a, a little bit more modest, I think, now getting older and wanting to, uh, you know, I'm also thinking like, dang, if I came out like that and everybody's talking about me, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's so many ways to think about it, because if if Rodney was in the house hyping me up, I would be like, yeah, we killed it. Right. 
And I'm sure that's what Russell's doing to for Sierra in the house. He's probably hyping her up like, you're killing it. I can't wait He's for everybody. He's probably down on one knee like... Exactly. You know what I mean? He's getting all the angles and all the photos, sizing her up the whole time right before they leave. Like, and that's the other thing too. As as men, as husbands, we know when our ladies feel attractive and what they're wearing. And most of the times, it's not something that's revealing. It's something that you feel comfortable in because it's showcasing the parts of you that you want to highlight. So then there's an attitude that that you walk around with, right? So speaking, you know, to Savannah James, she's not revealing in regards to her outfits, but she knows she looks good because what she's wearing fits perfectly and it right. looks exactly the way it's supposed to look. So there's an attitude that comes with knowing that you look you look presentable and you look good. For some people, it's wearing less. For others, they've learned how to wear more, but still carry that same attitude. So it's just, you know, it's a maturation type of thing. It's not for everybody. Some people it's just know how everybody. to, yeah, it's not for everyone. But to your point, it's not for every time either. <laughs> no, it's not. It is not. So, all right. Well, that is our show tonight. Joe. I loved having you on the show. If you guys like Joe coming on the show, please drop that in the comments and <laughs> encourage him to come back. You guys, I don't want to be the only one putting the pressure on him. You guys. So look, Joe, where can they find you when you're not here on clapback culture? If you don't see me here, you can find me on my YouTube channel. That's love to hoop to the number two L O V E two. Hoop, or you can find me on Instagram at Joe underscore McFly, M-C-F-L-Y. Oh, before we go, um, I want you to plug uh, the run Seattle. Let everybody know about that. Let our fellow Hoopers know where they can play. Hey, so every Sunday at Franklin High School, 1 to 4 p.m., I have an open run for everybody and anybody who wants to hoop all ages. We got three courts going, three full courts and it's been going for about three months now. We've got a lot of the high school and college guys coming and dropping in. So if you just want to hoop and want to get your game up, drop in on Sunday. I'll be there. All right. Good, good, good. All right. Well, I'm Jules Jesse. You guys know where you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Treasure of J-U-L-E-S. Um, please pull up, follow me, shoot me a DM. Let me know what you want to talk about next week. I'm so glad to be back, you guys. And baby Cairo is getting so big. Follow me on Instagram so you guys can see all the mommy updates. My baby is almost 13 pounds, you guys. And this is my second week back to work. So just getting back into the flow. So help me out. Send me some show topics. Let me know what you want to talk about next week. And I'll be here same time, same place. All right. We'll see you next week. Peace. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.